I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Work Stories is a place for women of color to share their experiences in the workplace. We're no longer whispering these stories to our best friends and partners and then shoving them to the backs of our minds and just dealing. We're talking about bias, equal pay, bad bosses, racist hiring practices, and all the crazy things your coworkers have done or said to you. This is a safe place to tell those stories. The floor is open, y'all. We are telling it all. Welcome back to season five of Work Stories. So we're gonna start off the season with a woman who trained for many years to act and perform. And she ended up using that to work her way up the nonprofit and policy ladder very quickly. Let's hear this incredible story. Tell us a little bit about yourself. Hi, so I am Dawn L. Brown. I am the president and CEO of Empower Her Institute. Empower Her is a nonprofit that in, based in Los Angeles County that supports uh, girls of color, providing them with the resources, access, and skills in order to become college and career ready with an ultimate goal of breaking generational cycles of poverty. As far as myself, I have 25 years of nonprofit executive management experience. I am originally from Washington, D.C., born and raised, moved on to live in New York, went to NYU for undergrad and grad school, lived in New York for 10 years, moved to California, lived in San Francisco, then L.A., then Virginia, and now back here in L.A. So I have experience on both coasts, working with girls, primarily girls of color, and by experience or expertise has been in the social justice arena, primarily in gender and race, and really examining the intersection of those two when working with women, adult women and youth, and have had a lot of experience around policy changes and running nonprofits and developing programs, primarily for girls who have been sex trafficked or involved in the juvenile justice system. Mm. Oh my gosh, so much important work. Wow, you've done a lot. And by the way, I can hear your DC accent loud and clear. Oh, okay. No, just so you know, it didn't go anywhere. <laughs> okay, I think you might be the first person to say that. Oh, I can hear it. Okay, you've done so much. Like, let's start off with going to school. So you majored in drama therapy, right? Yeah, so for my bachelor's degree, it's in acting. Okay. And I went to Tisch School of the Arts and then taught acting at NYU and then decided to get a master's degree in drama therapy. Talk to me about how you go from acting, theater, that world into nonprofits and policy. <laughs> how do you make that jump? <laughs> yeah, so it's actually a funny story. So I have always been in the creative arts. My mom exposed me to that when I was super young. And I honestly always say I can't 
function without being creative. Creativity is life for me. And so I went to a high school of performing arts. I went to Duke Ellington School of the Arts, which is pretty famous because of some of its graduates in D.C. And then went on to Tisch School of the Arts, part of NYU, to study acting. I thought when I graduated, I graduated at the top of my acting class. I really thought that I was going to take over Broadway. And so I graduated and was like, I'm here. And they were like, get in line like everybody else has got yeah. on <laughs> Right. <laughs> and so I was like, wait, wait, I'm supposed to just get the lead role, right? Mm-hmm. So, um, and so after, honestly, after one too many peanut butter and jelly sandwiches, I said, okay, wait a minute. I am going to have to find a job to supplement my income. And because my background had been in acting and also I had been working with you from my first job at 14 all the way up to you know college and beyond I had been teaching in schools and working with young people I always like to say I acted my way into a job as a manager I don't know how they hired me as a director but they hired me at the YMCA Greater New York to launch a after school program which was a virtual YMCA in Harlem for an elementary school and so I ended up working there and fell in love with the work fell in love with the kids and also realized that there were real needs that the young people had that my instincts helped guide me as to what to do or my instincts told me this is something deeper but I didn't necessarily always have the skills to address it and so I really wanted to look at what does that look like to develop those skills to support the mental health and the development of young people. And so because my background was in theater, I said, how can I merge these two things? Drama therapy existed at NYU. And so I said, let me just go ahead back and get this degree. So that's how I ended up doing drama therapy. It ended up actually working on a child psych unit of a hospital. Mm. And this is interesting because I was working full time with the nonprofits and going to school full-time and doing a part-time internship all at the same time. Oh my gosh. And day three on my internship at this child psych unit was 9-11 in New York City. And so um, while I went through my own personal loss, I was actually there at the hospital working with the young people and it happened to be the hospital that was closest. So we could see everything right out the window. And so I was there during that time and had to work with young people. And I remember them calling me down to work with the adults who were experiencing trauma as they were bringing them in from the site. And so I ended up becoming one of the go-to therapists at that time for supporting youth who had experienced trauma through 9-11, specifically lost caretakers. And so I ended up doing that work. And that was an internship that became a full-time job while at the same time working at a courthouse in the nonprofit sector, running programs for kids in in the justice system and working with adult women who had been sex trafficked. So I was doing all of that. And once I graduated and got my degree, I was like, I think I'm just going to keep doing this work because I just loved it. At that point, it was what I did in social justice you know, is again, I eat, sleep and breathe it. Mm-hmm. It's who I am. And so that's how I really got into it. I fell into it yeah. thinking that I was going to act and needed to find something else to eat. <laughs> you ended up doing a different kind of acting, right? Like 
acting, <laughs> like right. showing up for people. So when you explain it like this, the connection is clear, right? Because how people express themselves who are going through any type of trauma, you know, some people it is through theater and music and art and writing and, you know, other people's sports. And, you know, there's all these different ways that particularly young people can figure out a way to communicate, you know, what they're feeling when they don't really have the words yet and the vocabulary and all of that. So exactly. it, it makes perfect sense when you spill it out like that. But I, initially I was like, now, how did she get here? And I, my youngest client was six and my oldest client was 68. And imagine a woman still working in the, a sex worker at 68. Um, and so, right. I was like, ma'am, there's no retirement plan. We gotta, we gotta yeah. come up with something else. Um, <laughs> but they didn't always have the language. You said it exactly right, especially young people. And so drama therapy gives them another outlet. And so it could be anything from acting to doing an empty chair exercise, to doing talk therapy, to doing like play in sand with young people. But it really does help them to deal with the trauma and to, to heal from trauma mm-hmm. in a quicker way. And I think in a, in a way that can be more supportive, especially as you're developing language. Yeah. So talk to me a little bit about the effect of being kind of on the scene there for 9-11 being somebody who's right in the midst of everything, all hands on deck, helping folks. What did that experience do? Because I feel like it had to inform your next moves. How do you connect that to where you've gone? Yeah. So I actually, when I went into doing therapy, I thought that I was going to focus on kids who had experienced physical and sexual abuse. And that was my, I only wanted to do that work. And then day three hits, right? And so all of a sudden we had catatonic youth coming in. We had kids who lost caretakers. And so their trauma was different than abuse. And so I had to be able to work with all levels of trauma, not just abuse, which continued to be an issue, but also young people who were dealing with loss or who had seen really disturbing images outside of their school window as 9-11 happened. And In addition, I also was trying to balance out the fact that I had a personal loss during that time. And so I had my own trauma that I was dealing with and lost. I ended up having a shift because I really fell in love with working with the young people, especially working with the girls around what was going on and how they had to balance, which I think as people, as people of color and as women, we do, they had to balance the immediate trauma they were experiencing at that moment with also the experiences of being a girl, being a girl of color and being a teen in the world. And so all of that was just a whole bunch of muck that they were trying to weed through. And really that started to resonate with me. And I really started to connect and it became healing for me to be able to support these young people. And so I think for me, it began to, because I became a go-to therapist for it, they started to, I was on the list. Like I was one of the people that they sent people to. It really shifted what my focus was going to be, where I was very narrowly focused. It sort of broadened that out. And because I come from a community of that socioeconomically challenged, um, that's where I was born and raised in the, in the projects in uh, Washington, DC. I, knew what that meant as well. And that was important to me that I worked with young people who look like me, who come from those experiences. And that's always been something that I've been interested in and drawn to. And so I think working 9-11 really just sort of broadened that and then helped me to start saying, okay, 
I really want to just work with kids who have experienced post-traumatic stress from all levels of that and who come from violent communities, as well as those who've experienced real tremendous loss. And, And so it really just sort of broadened my perspective on trauma. Yeah, it's so interesting how in our efforts to help others, we end up helping ourselves. (laughs) Mm-hmm. And like we kind of talk about it, there's all these quotes and things around, you know, you get what you give. But so much I think of people who are in activism work and community work, you know, we're kind of operating from a place of like, I've been there. And so because of that, you get your own healing in yeah. serving others, which is, is beautiful and not an accident, really. So tell me how you go from being on the ground in in those heart racing situations, like solving the problem in the moment to what we know happens in nonprofits as you move up to being a little further and further away from it. And then you start going into kind of the politics of nonprofits. Tell me about what that has been like for you as you've transitioned up the ladder and particularly your experiences as a Black woman. Yeah, I do want to say in regard to the comment you just made that yes, the healing is real and true. And you have to do your work outside of the support of others too, because it has to be that balance in order to make sure that you are healthy enough to really yeah. provide services and have a, s- a separation that is, is healthy and functioning. Great point. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, like, listen, I had a therapist. I did my work too. You know what I mean? Like I wasn't just in there throwing it on, on the young people. No, no, no. Um, <laughs> Cause I see that too often in the work and I got to be yes. like, listen, you need to go to therapy first. before You, you need to step back. Yes, right. Or you back. maybe need to deal with people who have a different issue that mm-hmm. doesn't get home as much. Right. Exactly. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I went up very quickly because when I was hired, my first job out of college, I was hired in a managerial role. And so they, I, and that's why I always say I acted my way through right? <laughs> that. And then I shined in that position and ended up having some of the best stats as far as the progress of the students, the parent involvement, and then was able to bring in some funding and my first big supporter, we had Bloomberg was the funder of, of our particular site. And when they came to do their site visit, I was there and worked with them and pitched some ideas to them around volunteering and paying their staff to volunteer on our site and things of that sort. And they loved it. And so they ended up, the staff loved it as they were volunteering. And so they ended up advocating and they tripled their support the, the following year. And so that got the attention of the CEO at the time and was like, I don't know who this Dawn Brown is, but, you know, this 21 year old, but um, go on and give her a promotion. So and so I ended up being promoted into a director role. So by the time I was 22, I was a director. What? Yep. And was running all of the youth programs. If y'all listen, if y'all are in nonprofits or government services, you know this is crazy. You know this is like unheard of, especially for a black woman, because they make us wait even longer. So usually you got to be at least 55. Right. (laughs) So so this is, and listen, I had to go through a lot of, a lot of massage noir and bias and all of this because I was the only black director at my site. And so I had to go through a lot. um, And I was the youngest. So, Mm -hmm. you know, I definitely, but yeah. And so I, I shined in that position and started to bring in more funding. And I honestly had never fundraised before. I didn't have any training, any formal training in fundraising. People were coming in and I had major donors that were just falling in love with me and the work and was like, look, I like her. So I'm going to invest in, in her and was giving bigger dollars. And so from there, I got 
recruited by another organization and with through a series of things and moving to California, which really was about part of my healing. Like I was just like, I finished, I got my degree, my master's, and I just don't think I can heal any further in New York. I, I could smell him. I could hear him. And I just knew I couldn't heal any further. So I said, I'm gonna go to the other side of the world. And for me, that was California. I had never even visited California. And I was like, I'm gonna go and apply for a job out there. And I applied for a job and ended up getting the job. And my first time out to California was even the interview. And then they offered me the job on the spot. I did three phone interviews before, let me say this. You know, they offered me the job. I came out to San Francisco for this job and that promoted me again into a senior role and an executive level role. And then the next thing you know, from there, by the time I was about 27, the job after that, they hired me as an executive director because they were like, she knows how to fundraise. And I just was doing it off of like, I don't know this, but I'm learning it as I go along. And so Mm -hmm. I ended up getting moved into an executive director role um, with another organization. And so that's, that was it. You know, after that, I just stayed in those executive level roles. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Spring is my favorite time to start a new workout routine. With the weather warming up, it feels easier to get into the rhythm of things. Whether you have 20 minutes or an hour for a Pilates class or outdoor guided walk, Peloton has everything you need to help you get going. Get a head start on summer with Peloton at OnePeloton.com. So my transition was very unique, but at the same time, I learned the skills along the way. I mean, I was the person who I remember getting my first budget, them throwing my budget in front of me at 21 and saying, you know, this is the budget and we're going to start strategic planning in the next uh, three months. So we're going to need you to come up with your plan for the next five years for your department. I'm like, what is this? And so I remember like calling, calling my boyfriend at the time who had a, a MBA and, and he was a financial analyst. And I was like, I'm bringing this budget home. I need your help. And so I sat down with the budget. He broke it down for me and showed me what to do. And I walked into the next meeting Really like, yes. And so with the P&L, I noticed blah, blah, blah. You know, I really, I yes, know I my money. And so they, they were yes. so impressed. And so mm-hmm. that really was, I had to teach myself. I was working. I think this is a lesson for folks. Uh, I was literally sometimes working until midnight, just trying to understand this work, trying to make sure that I fit in the room because I was the only person that looked like me in the room. And so I wanted to make sure that I, that I understood what was happening. And also, I just am that person that doesn't want to not know what's happening in the world. And I'm a bossy girl. So, you know, so I I put all of that together. And so that was my transition. So I always make sure that even now, which many years later, it's important that I keep a a toe. It used to be a foot and now it's like a toe in the direct service of the work so that I understand Mm -hmm. it. But what I always tell my team is like I came from the direct service up. I came from working with the kids directly doing the work, doing counseling, running workshops, running sessions, and move my way up to fundraising, writing, and you know, coming up with strategic planning and working with boards. And then I really started to, by the time I was in LA, I was like, I really don't understand. There's systemic issues here. 
And we have to really get rid of the systemic issues and break down those barriers in order to create real change. And that's a long-term solution. And so while I felt it was really important, the triage work that we were doing every day, and it, it continues to be important, we can't do that work without looking at the system itself. And so that's where I started to look at that and speak out and do more advocacy work. And the next thing I know, people, and this is where the Black women part comes in, white folks love to tell us how well-spoken we are, right? right? And so that was something that I would hear, like, you, you're you so well-spoken. We need her to come and speak at the event because I'm working with kids involved in gangs and kids in the justice system. And so they're like, oh, she's so well-spoken. We have to have her, which is horrific. Um, <laughs> but I would go in and I would always bring a young person with me. Like I'm not the voice for the ver- voiceless. Stop, stop saying that is one of my biggest pet peeves. And so people would say, well, I'm just here to be a voice for the voiceless. So that's what your role is, Dawn. And I'm like, no, I'm not a voice for the voiceless. I'm gonna be quiet and give them the mic because there's no such thing as someone being voiceless. Mm-hmm. You just need to shut up and give people the mic. And yeah. so I would always do those kinds of things, bring young people in, talk to young people, find out what it was that they wanted to be said or what were the issues, and then speak from that perspective. And so that just sort of, next thing I know, people were calling me, CNN was calling, folks were calling. And at the time, Obama administration called and they were like, hey, be a part of this defending childhood group and all of this. And so the next thing I know, I was doing advocacy and policy change. And it really just came out of me being one looking, examining the fact that there were systemic issues that needed to really change and also realizing that there was so much I could do on the ground. My head just kept getting hit up against the wall when it came to the Department of Probation, when it came to other things of we just don't do that or that's just not the way it it is or where I was seeing kids being re-traumatized, you know, by the system. And so I was like, well, then we got to make real changes in the system. And that's how I got involved in policy work. Girl, listen, first of all, the acting is coming into play. Because what you just described to me as you made your way up the ladder was you literally faked it till you made it. Mm-hmm. Which absolutely. Is, which is, absolutely. Absolutely. I started to think that maybe like all black women need an honorary theater degree. <laughs> right? Put on the costume. At some point in time, you're going to have to throw your authentic self in your pocket and just be who you need to be in the moment to make it happen. Even if it's like, let me call somebody and figure out these numbers so I can come into this meeting and sound like a financial planner. Like, <laughs> right? <you know? laughs> right? <laughs> so what challenges do you come across in your work? Like, what would you say like the top three, oh my goodness, parts of your job are? We're working in nonprofit. And so fundraising is a big part of what I do every day. You would be surprised at the level of ignorance that I come up against when it comes to funders. Often the level of massage noir that I experience, we're in a help field. And so often when we're in help fields and when we're working with individuals who identify themselves as do-gooders, then they often tend to ignore or not believe or want to accept that they could be doing something that is harmful and not helpful to the community. Um, And so I think that is probably one of the biggest things that I face in this work. And then I'm dealing with systemic barriers every day. One of the biggest challenges or shifts that I, I see is when you're working in the corporate world, you can go through massage noir, you're going to go through all of the same challenges. And yet there, it's not always mission driven work. But the other part of that is that it's a for-profit. And so there's the compensation is different. Things of that sort yeah. are, are very different. When you work in nonprofit, it's mission-driven work. And so we work, I 
switched my organization, shifted it when I came into the organization to be fully functioning as a social justice based organization. It's something that we were doing before, but I came in and said, we're going to make this very intentional and this Mm -hmm. is the work we're going to do. Being a social justice organization, there are certain values we hold. And sometimes that is not in alignment with the systems that are in place. And when you're out there every day working with young people and you're telling them that they can be great and you know that there are barriers that they're going to come up against, the only thing you can do is to be honest with them. And it's something that is really important to me that we are honest with our young people about the barriers, but it doesn't make the barriers any easier as an adult woman to face when I see my, my kids face that as young people every day. And so I think for me, those are the, the big things is just looking at the systemic barriers that still continue to need to change. You know, we're, we're looking at Florida where there is a governor who is literally trying to pass anti-Black policies, right? And that's not the mm-hmm. only state where that is happening. And we're looking at it. We're in a country where we're watching our rights be taken away as women. And then I work with girls of color, primarily black and brown girls. So you can only imagine the systemic barriers that I have to face and look at and try to tear down. And some, I can't just, I can't tear down on a, on my own. And so I'm trying to give the kids the skills to do that for the next generation. Mm-hmm. But those are real challenges. So, you know, I would say that and massage noir, you know, which I don't know that I've had a job where I didn't face massage noir at some point. And again, this is a nonprofit. We, we tend to not want to believe that that exists, but it does very much so. Mm-hmm. So those are the barriers that I faced in this work. I've had to do everything from have a white male board chair tell me when I came in with my hair curly and natural one day after having it weaved up for a while. You know, you, you, you just look real militant today. Um, if you could just change that, uh, just Go back to what you looked like before for the board meeting, you know, and and in California, in Los Angeles, which is supposed to be this liberal place. Right. So I've I've had that experience. I've had the experience of white female staff who just got out of college say, I could do your job. I'm like, you write one book about kids of color and now you you the smartest person in the room. Yeah. I think you need to check yourself. Um, you know what I mean? Um, and, and, and I'm like, would, would you ever have said this to, well, she's just so aggressive. Am I aggressive or am I just doing my job? Cause I'm actually your boss. Right. Yeah. And so I've experienced that, you know, and I've experienced just general sexism. I, I literally have had a donor say, look, if you give me a hug, I'll double the donation, sir. I'm not giving you a hug give the money or not. And so, you know, those are things that we experience when people don't wow. believe it. I've had funders. I literally had a funder say, we just need to go back and think about this because I'm not sure as a you serve black and Latina youth primarily. I'm not sure if that's racist or not. And I was like, what? What? Um, So, you know, when I talk about like real systemic barriers and ignorance, when you're dealing with funders at times, that's a real thing that we are faced up against. And, And there's the opposite where obviously there are some amazing funders, more amazing funders than not. But those are real issues that I've faced in this work. Um, over the past 25 years. And you know what? It's not getting any better. You think as time goes on, more of these barriers will come down for places that do work like yours, right? Things will be easier. Policy will be better. But it seems like we're going backwards in this country, of course, on every spectrum. So how do you prepare for that? And I mean, do you ever just want to go and sell paperclips? Or or just like, I don't know, a candle. Work for a candle company. Just sell candles, non-emotional, Low stress. 
Girl, every like, other day. Um, but, but. I think I will go with that one. Easy. <laughs> you know, I mean, look, every other day. But I, I keep coming back to this work because I love what I do. I love the young people and I'm reminded of them every day and their stories and their smiles when I look at the photos, um, when I talk to my team and they tell me stories or when I go and do a site visit and, and get to talk to them directly myself. And I, I think every day that I look in the mirror and I see myself, I see a black woman who did good, right? Mm -hmm. Who came from poverty, who came from literally, you know, I I literally lived in a community where there were chalk outlines um, because this was back in the day. And so in the nineties, but you know, where I had friends who I lost before they were 16. And so Having grown up in that and and be where I am today, I remember days when we had pancakes for dinner and my mom made it a game and I didn't even know we were poor until I was an adult. And she was like, oh, girl, we didn't have that because that was a special occasion. It was because that was all I had in the house to cook you. Um, and so, you know, but, you know, to be to come from that and to, and to move into a place where I get to be the CEO, where I get to say, hey, mom, you know, I'm going to cover your rent this month. To be able to do that now. Um, I, I look in the mirror and I know that I want to be able to create that change and create those opportunities for the next generation and for every generation that I am alive that I can do. And so that's what keeps me going in this work every day. What would you say is like the main thing you think needs to happen that's not happening today to like retain Black and brown talent. I'm going to tell you a quick, quick story. When I came into this particular job, I did this very differently than any other company that I've ever interviewed with. And I left my interview with this job saying they are not going to hire me. And they called me the next day and was like, hey, we want to offer you the job. I actually had another job lined up. And because I knew that chances are I was going to take that other job, even though Empower Her was the one that fit what my heart wanted to do, I knew that salary-wise, it wasn't the right fit for me. So I was like, I'm probably going to just take this other job and make life easy for myself. But what I did when I met with them, they asked me a really great question that no one had asked me before. And I knew at that moment, this was probably the company that I was going to end up working for, even if it meant taking a cut. And what they said to me was, what are your deal breakers? What do we need to retain you? What will keep you here and not put you in a place where you start looking for something else? Mm -hmm. The first thing I said to them, and this is an advice that I would give to any company that wants to keep Black talent, especially Black women. The first thing I said to them was, before you give me feedback, take a moment and check your bias. You have to be willing to really examine the policies and the procedures and the values of your organization in a real and concrete way. And then you have to look and see if your practices are actually in alignment with what you say. Also, take a moment and understand the difference between equality and equity, because there's a big difference. And the ultimate goal is justice. And then take the moment to really hear what is being said from your employees and make sure that that table that they are at, when we talk about a seat at the table, you can't give them the janky chair. That's like, you know what I mean? That's about to fall apart. Listen, right. talking about, well, we gave them a chair at the table. Um, you it's can't squeaking. do that, right? It's squeaking, <laughs> it's, it's, it's wobbling. Yeah. And so you may, chances are, have to redesign your table completely and break it down. Yeah. Oh my gosh. I feel like there needs to be a book. And, and you know, at this point in life, I'm like, If you don't want to do any of this, that's fine. Don't hire any Black women. Yes. And if you're not ready for that, then really take a moment and look at it and say, are we willing to make a plan to get ready for this? Are we just not ready? Yeah. 
Beautiful, beautiful. Thank you so much. Well, thank you. Thank you for having me. <laughs> if you've listened to a fair amount of Work Stories episodes, you'll notice that many guests talk about pivoting. Their careers end up looking different than they thought they would. That's where they found happiness and purpose and where they've been able to be real agents of change. If it feels like you're at the beginning of a pivot, don't fight it. If you're doing something that has nothing to do with what you majored in in college, so what? Life is about being open to what's for you. So instead of trying to control every little move, focus on following what makes you feel good and what feels worth the work. We'll talk next week. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hey, folks, I'm Mark Marin from the WTF Podcast, and this episode is brought to you by Kleenex Ultra Soft Tissues your ally to help tackle your allergy symptoms this season. I love the change of seasons, but nobody loves pollen and all those other things floating in the air that make you sneeze during this nice weather. Kleenex Ultra Soft Tissues are hypoallergenic and allergist approved. So fight back against watery eyes and runny noses without worrying about irritating your skin. For this allergy season, grab Kleenex and face allergies head on.